0: So I'm in my series on living in an evil world, right? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We live in a world that's broken, lost, right? You can see it all around us. You just look around and you see confusion and misery and anger. It's everywhere. And uh, there's an ebb and flow to that too throughout the nations, throughout history. You see the rise and fall of that, but uh, we live in an evil world. And so um, I opened this up last week. I want to pick this up this week. Part two, finding your footing in distress. Envision your country being defeated, invaded, and uprooted by a pagan foreign power. Imagine being apprehended and torn away from everything you are familiar with, including your family. Try and picture what it would be like to wake up in a foreign land where everything is different, even the language. Try and feel the shock of waking up to the loss of your autonomy, your liberty, the right to pursue what makes you happy. You are a slave now, a piece of property. How will you survive? How do you find your footing? Welcome to the life of Daniel in Babylon. I hope this series in Living in an Evil World will help us find God's wisdom in navigating the white waters of a raging river of chaos and lawlessness all around us. Like Daniel, we can rise above it all. Now, Daniel's the extreme. I get that. You're saying, well, it's not as bad as Daniel. Well, just hold on. But you know what? We all go through tough things in this, in this life, in our nation. To one degree or another, misery comes in degrees, right? So no matter what it is that we're going through, even if it's less, God's concerned. God has made a way for us. God has promises for us. God gives us the hope to see us through these things. I want to encourage us through the life of Daniel to prepare for whatever it is we're, we're going through and that we would find hope in the stories of Daniel to rise above it all and to find that joy that only comes from the Lord. So as we we step into Daniel, I wanna give a framework for understanding how that applies to us. So often we read the Bible and we say, well, that's about Israel. Oh, that's for the Jews, you know? And we disconnect as if it's not for us too. It is for us. So let me give you the framework of why this story relates to us in every nation throughout The timeline, uh, Jeremiah 18 verses 1 through 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house and he was, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. How many people have ever went to like a pottery class and you get to watch the instructor with his clay and the wheel and some water? Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just like, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, he just takes some clay and some water and he's doing this and that and it's spinning and and out of that emerges like a, you know, some work that he's doing. And as they're doing that, sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll make a mistake and that thing gets all wobbly. And then it's like jacked and he'll just take it and he'll just like throw it and bring it down to just a ball again and start over. Right. And this is what Jeremiah is getting from the Lord, a picture. He's, he's using this as way uh, of analogy. Verse five, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. God is sovereign over Israel. God is sovereign over the nations. They are all pieces of pottery in his hand. At one moment... I might speak concerning a nation catch that not Israel concerning a nation at one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom kingdom to uproot to pull down or destroy it if that nation against which I've spoken turns from its evil I will relent concerning the calamity I planned to bring on it God not only deals with Israel But in the way that he deals with Israel, he also deals with the nations. He says to the nations, if you're going to choose evil rather than the good, if you're going to choose your own ways rather than my ways, I'll uproot you as a nation. Or at another moment, verse 9, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good which I had promised to bless it. God is a collaborator. He works with his creation. We have a part in this. We are part of that conditional factor that determines whether or not we're going to be blessed or cursed, whether we're going to be planted or uprooted. Verse 11, so now then, speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you. He originally promised them blessing. Now he's thinking otherwise because of their own selfishness, their own narcissism, living life on their own terms as a nation. God says, behold, I'm fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. The heart of God is to bless. The heart of God is to prosper. He's saying, I don't want to bring judgment Turn around, come back to me. I want to bless you. But if you insist and persist in your rebellion, I will ultimately bring the judgment. Actually, he says, You will beckon the judgment. You will whistle for the dog. You will wave the red flag for the bull. You will draw the evil. But they will say, It's hopeless. For we are going to follow our plans, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. I mean, is that not almost an epitaph for our nation? You know? It's like our nation saying, you know, we're just going to continue the course. We've seen what's happened over the last couple of decades, the judgments that have come, we've heard the voices of the prophets, we're just going to stay the course. And continue to do what we've been doing our nation is being shaken our nation is confronted right now with all kinds of overwhelming challenges calamity is here and it's growing and like Israel we have said oh it's hopeless for we are going to follow our own plans each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our evil hearts So, the USA will slide into more judgments and into deeper misery. But what about the follower of Jesus? What about us? People always say, Pastor, that's a hard word. Pastor, that wasn't very encouraging. Well, I'm not really speaking to you. You're the righteous, you're in Messiah, you're here. The word to you is be of great courage. The Lord is with us. He's the one that's bringing the storms. He knows how to keep his own in the midst of judgment. For us, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. That's the good news. But we need to understand the context we're in as a nation so that we can relate to the nation, that we can be a voice to the nation in the coming judgment. Isaiah 3, verses 9 through 11. This is one of the prophets who's also speaking of the coming judgment that's coming to Israel. God speaking through the prophet says, the look on their faces will be held against them. They boast about their sins, which are like the people of Sodom. They don't even bother to hide them. How horrible it will be for these people because they have brought disaster on themselves. But tell the righteous that blessings will come to them. They will taste the fruit of their labor. Tell the righteous, blessings will come to them. The context is judgment. God's saying in the midst of judgment, tell the righteous, don't be shaken. It's gonna be okay. Look for the blessing. It's coming to you, even in the midst of this crisis. Don't be alarmed by what you see that's coming. Don't be shaken by all the turmoil that's going to you know, arise as a result of that. Know that you're in my son. I will take care of you. The blessings will come. I look for the blessings. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of what's coming to our nation. I'm looking for the blessings. I know that God can navigate us through the storm. He will navigate you through the coming storm. He's already done that. Has he not done that over and over and over? Y2K, remember that? 2008, remember that? 9-11, remember that? 2020 with the, I can't even say it. Everyone's so upset anymore. It Wasn't a good year. Hasn't been a good three years. But I'll tell you what, we haven't seen anything yet. The judgments will build, but so will the blessing. So will the blessing. So, you know, I find myself complaining about what, what the nation's doing and what's happening and inflation and the borders and this and that. And as I'm doing that, I'm thinking to myself, but that's kind of weird that it's not really touching me. I'm so happy. I'm so blessed. You know, what is that? What is that? It's the Lord saying, I'm going to take care of my people in the midst of it. Doesn't mean we won't have hardship. Doesn't mean that we don't go through trials and tribulations. It's just that in the midst of it, we get this kind of funny grin on our face. Because there's a joy in the midst of the sorrow that keeps us steady until we make it through. Versus no joy, no rhyme, no reason, just the misery. That's the difference. Okay. So, tell the righteous that blessings will come to them. They will taste the fruit of their labor. But how terrible it will be for the wicked. Disaster will strike them. What they have done will be done to them. What, will, what they did to you, God's going to turn the tables and that will be done to them. Revelation 18, don't got time to go into that, but God invites his people to pay back Babylon. He says, pour her the cup that she made you drink. In fact, give her double the cup. That's one of my favorite places in the Bible. I love payback. Not, not, not on my own, but when God says, okay, it's like, yeah! Okay, so anyway. Only because I hate injustice and how innocent people are traumatized simply because they believe in Jesus, simply because they're doing, doing, trying to do what's right, you know? So, all right. Daniel is the story of how the people of God can not only persevere in judgment, but actually prosper in judgment. Daniel and his friends emerge and rise in Babylon, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the great Assyrian empire, the empire of the day, the king and his army come and invade Israel to the capital city and ransack it. They overtake it. This pagan king and his army. Verse 2 gives us context. Quite insightful, if I might say. It says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, gave the king of Israel into the pagan king's hands. Israel had overthrown nations, much greater than them. When God is with them, victory. When God is against them, defeat. It's out of their hands, they had gone too far. And now God is going to raise up a pagan king and send those invading armies to overtake Jerusalem and take his people into captivity. God is orchestrating this. God inspires and anoints, empowers a pagan king and a terrifying army to bring chastisement against his holy people so he does and along with the king of judah he took the vessels of the house of god and brought them to the land of shinar to the house of his god and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his god verses three through seven then the king ordered Ashpenaz the chief of his officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel including some of the royal family and some of the nobles youths in whom was no defect who were good looking showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge and who had ability for serving in the king's court and he ordered them to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the, the wine which he drank. Do you know what kind of food that is? It's the king's food. It's beef tenderloin. You, you know, if I was talking in the world, it would be like king crab. Lobster tail, right? I mean, it's going to be the most, the most uh, beautiful, um, extravagant smorgasbord of, of food that you can imagine with some of the finest wines of the land. He's going to give that to these Hebrew young men that he's going to groom to serve him and represent his kingdom. He appointed them that they should be educated three years, and at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them was from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Masha'el, and Azariah. The commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar. It's like Lord of the Rings. It's like, give me that name. You know, it's like, okay, that's a name, right? to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michelle, Meshach, Azariah, Abednego. And these young men are going to be assimilated on steroids. I mean, this is going to be a fast track of assimilation. And they're going to spend every day of the next three years under the king's tutelage, being trained, being educated, being prepped so that they can be representatives of the king. Do you think that happened by happenstance? Do you think the God who's sovereign over this whole ordeal is not orchestrating all this taking place? Yeah, I want to say this again, no matter how bad things get, do not fret. Do not look for the opportunities to rise in whatever they may be in our future. Daniel is about 15 years old at this time. Is anyone 15? Can I see a hand? 15? Okay. We got a a couple people in here that are basically 15. Some wish they were 15. (laughs) See some senior citizens hoping, wishing they were 15. Can you imagine being 15 years old and everything you know is taken away from you? I mean, everything, your family, your land, everything that's familiar. And now you are in this group and you're wondering what's going to happen now, right? Daniel's 15 years old. He's going to live to the ripe old age of 84 years old in captivity. He never steps out of captivity. He'll serve one king in one empire and then another king in another empire, finishing up in his last year with King Cyrus who finally opens up the doors for Israel to go back to the land. Daniel lives his whole life in Babylon, basically, in captivity. What we can learn from Daniel is significant because we're slowly slipping into the same context. Judgment is all around us and is growing, and we don't know what that ultimately looks like, but we could see the fall of America as we know it. And what emerges in the fall, who knows? I say, who cares? We're the people of God. We're going to keep our focus on Him, and we're going to survive and thrive. That's, that's my hope. That's my faith. Daniel 1, verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commanders, uh, from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. How, how's he going to do that? You know what's he going to say? He's the slave. He's just been acquired. He hasn't even started the training. And he's talking about the king's food might defile him? What is the king's food? I can't say that word. Poo? You know, how offensive would that be for a nobody to make remarks about the king's food being problematic, right? Think of the courage it took for Daniel. Would we have that courage? Do we have the courage? Do we make stands for the ways of God in our lives? Think of the pressure he's under. Yet he said in his mind, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's choice food. I'm going to obey God rather than men. I'm going to obey God rather than a pagan king. And he knew full well it could cost him his life. Make no mistake about it. I think that's some pretty significant courage for a young man that's 15 years old. That's significant. It tells us a little bit about who Daniel is. Obeying God before men and in an area that most of us would say, come on, really? Really? It's just food, you know? It's just a little pork. Little crab, little lobster. What, what's the big deal? You know, there's bigger fish to fry, no pun intended. Why draw the line in the sand there? Because God did. God, God thought it was important. God says diet's important. I've given you dietary laws, not just for health, but for the purpose of making you holy. It's an issue of holiness. So Daniel says, you know what? I'm not going to defile myself. We tend to think, well, it was done away with with the cross of Jesus. Now, realizing actually is firmly established because of the cross of Jesus. That the way we live our life is commensurate with the grace that we received in our salvation that our lives are not our own, we're separate, holy unto him, and the markers of holiness are his commandments. That's what makes us different from the world. If we're just like the world, how will we invite them to be saved? Well, what, what is that thing you're doing? it's the same thing you're doing. Well, why do I need to do it if I'm already doing it, right? No, because we're different, and there's a glory in that, and there's a benefit in that. That's the draw for others. Now, I know a lot of times we say, well, diet's not that big an issue. No, until you're 40, 50, 60, we're all walking around. We've got arthritis, you know, diabetes. We've got all these chronic illnesses, most of which are related to diet. All of a sudden, that becomes a big deal. Daniel says, you know what? I'm going to live by faith. I'm not going to compromise on the commandments of God. So he takes his stand. But what we have to see is not that he took a stand, but how he took the stand. Because the how is critical for surviving and thriving in a pagan world. He does this with humility. He does it with respect. And he does it with honor. He appeals to his pagan authority. Do you know what it means to appeal? It means to ask permission. You're deferring and recognizing the authority, and you're saying, hey, is there any way that you could grant this to me? Versus, you ain't granting nothing. This is what I'm going to do. and Like it or not, that's just the way it is. No, No, how he did it is the key for his survival and thriving in Babylon. Let's look at that. In fact, what I want to do, what I want to do is, is, is wrestle with the issue that this is a pagan king, and you know what? It's one thing to submit to godly authority, but, but we're not called to submit to ungodly authority. Um, I, I want to just address that so we can get Daniel's context because his context is a pagan king. So in Romans chapter 13, Paul makes the point that all authority comes from God, even pagan authority. Romans 13, one, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Your translation might read, every person is to be in submission, submission, subjection, uh, the same concept, to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God, even pagan authorities. Who's ruling at this time that Paul's writing? I think it's Nero, emperor of Rome, pagan to the core. Paul, how could you write that? That doesn't make sense. You want us to submit to a pagan authority? Yeah, Daniel did. In fact, we see lots of examples of that in the Tanakh, Romans 13.2. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. You resist pagan authority, you'll encounter the condemnation of God. Why? Because that's his authority. You know, if you go back and look at Nebuchadnezzar, and we'll do that in weeks to come, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, Thou, O king, are king of kings and lord of lords. God has given you this power and authority. It's beautiful that Daniel can see that all authority comes from God even when it resides in those who abuse it. It doesn't change the fact where it originated. Therefore, to oppose it is to oppose God himself. If there's one thing that we, in America, really struggle with, it's rebellion this rugged individualism that's bred into us in our forefathers, this independence, right? The 4th of July, we are our own kings. We'll govern ourselves, which isn't problematic in and of itself. In fact, I think that's the way God designed it, but it's our attitude of how we go about that that gets us in trouble over and over and over again. We are to obey civil authority. Not just ecclesiastical authority, not just parental authority, but ungodly pagan authorities. We are called to submit to them with good hearts, good minds, good attitudes. All the memes about the president. Oh my gosh. You're going to hell if you don't stop. (laughs) Repent. You may not like the president, and I don't. You may not like his policies, and I don't. But you give him honor and you give him respect because he's the president. He has delegated authority. We're called to submit to that. The only exception being when that authority asks you or me to do something that clearly violates clear mandates from the scripture. That's the only time. And even then, even then, when you disobey a governing authority because they're asking you to do something that violates a clear teaching, not obscure teachings. No, actually ask you to do something that would violate the word of God. Then you can disobey. And you know how you disobey? With humility, with respect, and with honor. That is called decorum. And that's what God requires of us. And outside of that, every other place where uh, delegated authority is requiring something something of us, parents, teachers, right, civil authorities, we're to do that with a good attitude. We're to submit to that with a good attitude, as long as it's not violating a clear teaching of the word of God. And this is what Daniel does. Romans 13, 3-4, For rulers are not a cause of fear, For good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Verse 7, therefore render to all what is due to them. Tax, to whom tax is due, custom, to whom custom, fear, to whom fear, and honor, to whom honor. Daniel displays that over and over and over in his life, both in submitting in many areas and doing a good job as a civil servant to the king and also in his disobedience to the king on different occasions. That's the model for us. That's the model that we need as we go into our future to allow the light of Christ to shine through us and to be obedient to to our delegated authorities, kids to parents, parents to civil authorities, parents to church authorities. Everyone's called to be in an authority and under authority. And these are the lessons that we'll learn in the story of Daniel. But I am out of time for now. But next week, we'll return to 1 Peter chapter 2, who also has some things to say about the emperor of Rome and why we need to give him honor. And I can tell you right now, we're gonna learn some lessons here and we're gonna do better with our memes. And that's the least, but in a fuller sense, we're gonna learn how to value and submit to delegated authorities in our lives so that we have unity and decorum and respect so that we not only are the people of God, but we look like the people of God. Not a bunch of homies, but royals in the house of our king, right? You are royals. Live like royals with dignity and honor and respect. You know, I I like the duels they had in England and all the honor that would go into the shooting of one another. There was order and decorum to justice, right? All right, so I'll leave you with that. We'll pick this up next week. Father, we love you, we bless you. You are everything to us. We are not afraid, for you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Your son is on the throne. Jesus, we trust that you will navigate for us through the coming storms, that we might be a bright shining light in the dark storm ahead, that we'd lead a whole bunch of people into a relationship with you and into your kingdom, a kingdom of light, of glory, of love, compassion, forgiveness, and reconciliation we just say use us lord use us encourage us give us our breakthroughs prosperous even in the midst of judgment in jesus name amen